0: So um, today we are looking at a, a series of scriptures from the Gospel of Mark. We have been going through the Gospel of Mark week by week every, uh, every Sunday. That's how we like to uh, do things here at uh, Renew is we like to go verse by verse to hear God's word each week. And so what we have here is a collection of stories that I believe have the central message of, of hope. The, the purpose of, of these stories is for us to grasp the hope of the gospel. And as I was thinking about the, the idea of hope and thinking about how, how it, maybe we experienced hope in, a, in, a, in, in our world today, I came to uh, reflect on uh, the very popular, the very excellent movie, uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Now, it's been out for 30 years, so if I spoil it for you, I really don't feel bad about that. Shawshank Redemption is an excellent movie. came out in 1993, and uh, it's it's this story of a man named Andy Dufresne who is um, wrongly convicted of murdering his wife, and he is sent away to the prison Shawshank. And in Shawshank, Andy and uh, uh, another man named Red, uh, played by Morgan Freeman. Uh, become close friends and they are both uh, sentenced to a life sentence in Shawshank and, uh, and yet they become close friends and the story of the, of the movie is all about Andy Dufresne uh, living in the prison and eventually uh, he eventually escapes so that's the spoiler but I mean it's you can't spoil that movie Um, But but the the theme of the movie, the the thing that the movie wants us to grapple with is the idea of hope. Can we hope? Should we hope? Is hope a good thing or a dangerous thing? And there is a pivotal conversation after Andy Dufresne has been uh, put in solitary confinement for playing uh, Mozart's music uh, for the whole prison to hear. And he gets out of solitary confinement and there's this conversation Between Andy and and Red, and I have it on the screen, but I want to just go through it. This is kind of the, the thesis of the movie. Andy says, I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company. It was in here, and in here. That's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? And Red responds, well, I played a mean harmonica as a younger man, but I lost interest in it. It didn't make much sense in here. And Andy says, no, here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget? That there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's, there's something inside that they can't get to, that they can't touch. It's yours. Red says, well, what are you talking about? Hope. Hope. Andy replies Hope let me tell you something my friend hope is a dangerous thing hope can drive a man insane it's got no use on the inside and that is really the conflict between Andy and Red whether whether Andy should accept the institutionalized world of the prison and give up hope or whether red should adopt andy's perspective and hope against hope the, these are the the two views that are in in the movie and really i believe that they are meant to to reflect the different views that we all could take in the world that we live in we can either take the view that this world is all there is that there, there may not be uh, walls that we're living in, but we are living in a materialistic universe where everything is just the way it is, and there's nothing beyond. That is what uh, the, 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 the world of, of naturalism, the world of, of uh, materialism really wants to teach, that we are a closed system, that you, you're born, you die, and there's nothing else. And so whether you want to look at the world as a prison or whether you want to look at the world as not a prison, you need to just adopt that you live in this world and you YOLO. You only live once, so do whatever you can do to make this time on on earth uh, fun or, or enjoyable to yourself. So which perspective has the world taught you? I really think if you're living out in the world, you are picking up everywhere the message of red, the, the message that hope is a dangerous thing, to just focus on pleasing yourself now, to just focus on taking care of your needs now, to not really look into the future, to just pull out your phone and distract yourself a little bit more. We are a world that, that, that does not have much Hope. In fact, we live in a world that, that really wants you to see hope as, as foolishness. Why, why, why defer gratification? Just take whatever you can get now. But then, if we look at the other side, in a world that has, has become institutionalized like red, we also have to say this world has produced anger and depression. And cynicism. It's produced greed. I mean, greed is take all that you can get, don't worry about whether it hurts someone else because it's the here and now that matters. It's created tribalism. I mean, if we don't win in the here and now, then we have lost all ultimate sense. We have to win the next election. We have to get the right people because this is all there is. There's nothing past any of this for us to hope in. This is the world of red. And this is the world that so many of us are living in. And if you look at the statistics, the youngest people in our country are the most oppressed, are the most cynical, are the people who have the least words of hope as they look at their life. And so I believe we live in a world where Red's view has, has taken hold. But the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, wants you to learn that Red was wrong. Red was wrong to say don't hope, to treat hope as dangerous. Because the, the movie clearly takes Andy's side. Andy's hope was life-giving. Because Andy had hope in this prison, he lived as a free man. And not only did he live as a free man, his hope gave everyone else in that prison hope too. The fascinating thing about the movie is how much Andy's hope in the world caused him to improve the prison, right? And yet we are often told as one more reason not to hope that if you're so heavenly minded, you become no earthly good, right? And yet we see Andy shows us that as he placed his hope outside the walls, he was able to change Shawshank to be a better place. And the best news at the end is that Andy's hope even changed red. When the last pictures of of the movie is red is finally set free and he's smiling as he reunites with Andy. And the last words that he says that we hear before the credits is, I hope. So the movie wants us to side with Andy. And I want to ask you this question. How can we live like Andy in a world that is so uh, short on hope? How can we live like Andy? If we are going to live like Andy, then we also need to be people of hope. We need to be people marked by hope. We need to be people who are not tribalistic, who are not making the arguments like it's it's now or never. We need to not be doomsayers, right? We need to be people who reflect hope in this world that no matter how bad things may appear to be, we are not collapsing because we have a hope that the world cannot take away. And that is what this passage wants to put into us is to give us a fresh glimpse of the hope that Jesus wants us to have. This is a passage to call all of us who have started to slide into cynicism or despair. It is calling us to come back to believe in the gospel, to believe that there is something to hope in, that there is a hope in Jesus that is greater than the biggest calamity of the world. Our passage is a passage that is going to show us in three different scenes that Jesus brings a world that we can hope in. And as we go through these uh, different scenes, I just want to start with a a question as a preface. What might your life be like if it was really defined by hope? What might your life be like be in the world around you if it was really defined by hope. Jesus brings a world that we can hope in. So let us look at these three scenes and see the the world that he brings. Jesus first is bringing a world of wholeness. Jesus is bringing a world of wholeness. So we're looking at the the first passage here, the, the healing of this deaf man. And boy, can we relate to, to the world that Jesus comes into here. We, we live in a world with so much suffering, so much affliction, so many hurts. I know whenever uh, I stand in front of a room, I am standing in front of a lot of pain. A lot of suffering is happening in each of our lives. And I know that amongst us are painful questions. Why questions? What's this for questions? Questions that we cannot answer, but we suffer as we sit sit there and think about them and wonder why. And as we get older and older, the questions seem to be harder to answer and they seem to be louder and larger so that we get to really the big question underneath them all. Will I ever be whole? Will I ever be whole? Will I ever have everything right? Will, everything, will it ever fit together? Will I ever wake up not hurting? Will I ever have these broken relationships fitted back together? So we live in a world that is very similar to the world that this deaf man lives, that we meet in this passage. I mean, this man is a deaf man, and he lives, uh, as we're told, he lives in the Decapolis, which is the Greek region of the, the Middle East at the time, which is to say it was a place where Jews mostly did not go. And so this man is probably a Gentile man. He's a man who is living far from uh, the the, the Jewish people. He is living far from any hope that the scriptures declare. So he is living far away. And so I actually have a map to show you where where we are. So so, so Jesus has made this big journey that happens here in in verse uh, 31. He goes from uh, Tyre up to Sidon and all the way around down to this area of the Decapolis. What's amazing here, and we'll bring this out later in the passage, but Jesus is walking in lands that Jewish people did not walk. He is walking in the Gentile lands of the Middle East. This ministry that we are reading about is Jesus going to those who are considered most far away. And so this is where the deaf man is. He lives in a place that has very little hope in it. And he lives as a man who has been deaf likely from birth. He has likely never heard a sound. And he has learned to live in a world that has no uh, accommodations for being deaf. So he has lived a life of suffering. And it is a hopeless life. There is no reason for a man who has been deaf his whole life to ever think, that he is going to be made to hear again. And so it was our questions of, will, it, will we ever be whole? This man lives. Will I ever be whole? And then we find that Jesus comes straight there. He comes to the man who is deaf. He comes to the country that the Gentiles live in that do not have the hope of Israel. He comes and this man meets Jesus. Jesus has come to give this man hope. And in that passage, that verse right there is the reminder of that's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has come from heaven down to us so that all of us can have the hope that only he can give. The reason that we can hope is because Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to this deaf man, and that is the deaf man's hope. Now, this story is unique to the Gospel of Mark. And it describes the man's speech, and you can translate the word that is used here for his speech as he is either mute, unable to speak, or he speaks with very difficult speech, very painful, un, unfamiliar speech. And so at any rate, whether he is deaf or whether he speaks those kind of non-precise sounds that, that, that you hear from people who have deafness, it, it reveals to us that this man has had this condition for a very long time. He has never been able to hear words enough to form them properly with his own mouth, right? Right? So he has had this, this condition, maybe from birth, and Jesus comes to this man, and he heals the man. Now, the, the healing story is, is, is kind of strange. It, it has some elements in it that other he- healing stories don't have. I mean, it has this description of, of putting fingers and ears, and it has spit, and it has touching the tongue, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, like the first time that I read the Gospel of Mark, I was like what is this magic stuff like what what is this like Jesus just says it and that's how things are done right Jesus doesn't have to touch why is he doing that and I think that he is doing this because he is healing as an act of compassion when I was uh, in my previous job I was an engineer I had a, a job assignment I was out in Long Beach California and uh, uh, was, was done with the day and was out to get a, uh, some food for dinner. And I was met, at I was kind of in a place like today's plaza or whatever. And I, I was met by this woman who had a sign. And her sign said, I am deaf. Can you please help me? And I just spoke to her. I says, uh, no, I, I cannot help you. Didn't even think about it. Just hard-hearted, you know, bad, bad pastor. Just said that. And she just looked at me. And so I said again, no, I, I cannot help you. And she just keeps looking at me. And then eventually she points to the sign. I'm deaf. So I realized, you know, I had to, I had to change my form of communication. The Lord gave me three times to get my answer right. I still failed. I, I look back at that as one of the uh, uh, times of, of real regret. You see, what Jesus is doing is he is entering the world of this deaf man. He is showing compassion. He is entering the world by making connection in a way that the man can still connect with touch, with visual. And so he comes to this man, I I believe in in sweet tenderness, and he, he touches the man in the ear to say to him in the language he can understand, this, I'm gonna fix this. And then he touches the man's tongue. This. I'm gonna fix this. So he is communicating so that the deaf man knows. And the only way that he can still communicate, Jesus is here, and he's gonna heal me. And then he says, a faffatha which is a fun word to say, but it, it really exercises your mouth, right? A fafatha. I mean, you make big movements to say a faffatha. And it is probably a word that this man could see and read off the lips. Be opened. And at that moment, do you get that this man who had never heard a word, the first words he heard was the voice of Jesus saying be opened. And so he experienced the miraculous power of Jesus to open his ears. And when Jesus does this he is not just doing this for this individual man. Mark wants us to realize that what Jesus is doing here is a sample of what Jesus has come to accomplish for all people everywhere. And the way that that Mark does that is he uses in the Greek a word that is only used one other place for the opening of the years. He uses this word magalelon. And the only other place that we come across this word is in Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 through 6. And this is what we are told in that passage. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The the, the Greek word magalelon is there behind the word mute, just as it is behind the word of this man's inability to speak in Mark 7. So what Mark is doing is he is saying what Jesus is doing is not just a simple miracle for this man. Jesus is actually fulfilling a promise, a prophecy in the Old Testament that said, this will be what happens when the Messiah comes. The deaf will speak, the lame will, will walk, the blind will see, and the, the, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. This is what's going to happen, and here is Jesus' down payment. I am doing this very thing right here. And so what we have here is a preview of what Jesus is doing for all of us. As I look at Isaiah 35, you you look at these things, blindness and deafness and and, and paralysis. uh, These are incurable today. Conditions of, of paralysis and blindness and, and deafness. I mean, there are, are, are maybe some things that we can do for some cases, but for the most cases and, 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 and the general cases, they remain something we suffer with. And so when Jesus heals this deaf man, he is showing us that he is bringing a power with him that not even our modern science can rival. He is the one who we can hope in to bring Uh, salvation, and to bring wholeness to all of these different cases. Mark is saying that the one who heals all infirmities has come. That's who Jesus is. And so Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what he will ultimately finish and fulfill at the end of time, which is described to us in Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore in the world that Jesus is bringing. And we can know that that world is coming because he began it with this man, taking away his deafness. Now, what is fascinating to me is that when it, it, Mark describes the healing of this of this man, he says that this man's speech was restored. It wasn't just restored, it was improved. We are told that he spoke plainly. And the Greek behind the word plainly is, is orthos. And we're familiar with the word orthos, orthopedic, um, uh, orthodoxy. Orthos means right, right? And so when Jesus takes this man who has difficult or mute speech, and he makes him orthos. He goes through all of the speech therapy classes like that. The man who couldn't speak is suddenly speaking perfectly, speaking eloquently, speaking without defect. This man goes from zero to 60. He is perfectly restored. He is orthos. He is made whole. And again, this is a glimpse of what Jesus has come to do for all of us. We can look forward to our bodies, whatever its uh, diminishment or its suffering, to also be made orthos, to be made right, to be made perfect. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 which talks about our resurrection. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. We are sown perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. How many of us are getting really tired of being perishable, dishonor, and weak? How many of us are are struggling with our body so full of weakness, But this is what happens in Jesus. The promise that your weakness will become power, your perishability will become imperishability, is what we have in Jesus. This is such a beautiful thing. You will be orthos in every way. And the world around you will be orthos. You have in your heart an ache for when will things be right? They will be right in the day that Jesus returns. So what does this mean to you? When I say someday, your body's going to be orthos. What does that mean to you? When I say someday, your world It's going to be orthos. What does that mean to you? That's your call for hope. Listen, Jesus is bringing a world that will be whole again. He has begun it. He will finish it. And so if we dwell on this hope, to hope in Christ means that you can be a person that is unique in this world. You can be a person of peace. Because as you live in a world where you are not Orthos and the world is not Orthos, you can have the peace of knowing it may not be Orthos now, but I know that the one who I hope in will make it Orthos. And so I can have peace amidst the storm? Does the world need people who bring peace amidst the storm? They need people of hope in Jesus. Now, the second scene, we see that that, that, uh, Jesus is bringing a world of joyfulness. So as Jesus heals this man, there is great excitement as the crowd sees this man healed. and, And they say, probably, uh, one of my top favorite verses in all of Mark, they say in verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let me ask you, as we live in this world that, that, that uh, is institutionalized, that, that, ha- that fears being hopeful, what is your purpose? What is your purpose? I I think that that may be one of the biggest tension points between uh, our life here and our life in the world. Is the answer to the question, what is your purpose? I don't think the world has a good answer for it. The world just struggles with the sense of meaning and purpose. I think this is what lays underneath the, the sense of burnout and anxiety and depression and anger, is that we just get further and further into this world, and we find out that this world has nothing really to offer us in terms of purpose. We're just spinning plates. We're just moving the chairs on the Titanic. But what gives us purpose? That is the feeling that, that gnaws the inside of, of us the older we get, and, and, and the youth in our day are feeling it faster than others. The whole idea of happiness in this world is escapism. Play some silly game on your phone. Go, go to a movie. Watch a football game. But those are all escapists. They don't actually change the situation. And so we're, we're dealing with a world that just feels Hollow. And I believe inside of all of us is this question, what can I give my life to that will give me real joy? You see, verse 37 is the the answer to to that question. The people who see Jesus heal this deaf man, they discover what can give real joy. You see, they, they see this Jesus heal this man and praise erupts, out of them, the, the the Greek here is fascinating. I don't usually talk about the Greek this much, but though the, the, they say they are astonished, and then Mark uses this word that is basically extraordinary, excessively, profusely. But that word by itself is not big enough, so he adds actually a prefix to it. He adds the prefix hyper. So what he is saying is, these people were amazed. Excessively, profusely, extraordinarily, and beyond that, hyper that, overwhelmingly that. That's what, that's what he's saying. He's saying they got to a place of awe that they had never been to before. They got to a place of awe that the word extraordinary, profusely, could not really communicate. So they blew it up. That's what we have here. These people's hearts were filled with joy. Why? Because all of a sudden, they saw the one that their hearts were created to rejoice in. And how did they see it? They saw the one who does all things well. This is like hearing the perfect note. Suddenly, you've heard it. The one who does all things well has just revealed themselves to you. The words well can also be translated beautiful. What they saw was, this man is beautiful. He is beautiful in every way. And when they saw that, suddenly they knew their purpose. Their purpose jumps out from inside them. And what was their purpose? was to find their joy in Jesus. Or another word for that is to worship. Their hearts were made for worship. And here it happened. For the first time, it overwhelmed them. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? And its answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what is happening. They are experiencing a world of joyfulness. They are experiencing the chief end of why they exist They are seeing Jesus as beautiful, as worthy of worship. Do you see the beauty of Jesus? Do you see Jesus as beautiful? You weren't there, and my words don't do justice to what happens in this place. So what can you look at to see the beauty of Jesus? Ah. I would like to point you to Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, where we are told in this throne room of heaven, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The lamb here is, is the apostle John seeing Jesus in heaven. And he says that when he sees Jesus in heaven, he sees one as a lamb that had been slain a lamb that had been slain. Dwell upon that. Dwell upon that picture. Our Savior exists in heaven, showing the marks of his sacrifice for you. For all eternity, we will see what he endured to make us whole in Revelation 5 6 we are saying you will see the one who bore the wounds to make you orthos to make you orthos you will see one who bore the wounds of the cross now does that not make you extra excessively profusely and beyond amazed at him that that is who he is that he made himself scarred that he made himself wounded that he could have you with him that is the beauty that is the beauty that will make our heart sing friends the, the, the world leaves us hollow because it has nothing in it that is worthy of worship You can chase one thing after another, but you will come up empty eventually. And the reason is there is nothing in this world that is worthy of worship. Jesus came to set our heart ablaze with joy. A joy that extends to the end of time and beyond. Because it is a joy that our heart was made for. It is our purpose. Our purpose is to enjoy him. And so when we have Jesus, Jesus gives us the hope that makes us people of joy. This world needs to see that there is joy. And as we live in this world with the hope of Jesus, they can see that joy in us. Now third, Jesus is bringing a world of oneness. Jesus is bringing a world of oneness. And in chapter 8, we read of the feeding of the 4,000. As we think about oneness... Maybe this, as, as much as any of them, is the one that we ache for the most because we live in a world of conflict and division and spite and meanness. We live in a world of racism, of classism. We live in a world of, of political divides. And, and, and we look at this and we say, will there ever be unity? Will there ever be, will there ever be a, 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 a place that we can all get along? right? And it's feeling pretty hopeless. And Jesus wants us to see in this last passage that Jesus brings the only hope for true oneness in this world. As we look at the the feeding of the 4,000 here in Mark chapter 8, it looks very much like a story that we already read. In fact, there's sometimes a deja vu feeling when you turn into Mark chapter 8 because we already read that Mark fed the 5,000 in uh, chapter 6. And so some people argue that, that Mark just, you know, uh, he, he went to get a cup of coffee while he was writing down the book, and he came back and he wrote the same story a second time, and, and he, just, he just, you know, he made a duplicate. Uh, And some people think that's how we got these two feedings. Well, there are enough differences in this story that we know that it's not a duplicate. There's a different number of people. There's a different number of baskets. uh, There's different vocabulary. Uh, There are enough differences that, that, that we credibly believe that this is a completely different account. And the most important difference between these two and the difference that explains why there are two stories is that this feeding happens in the Decapolis. The other feeding happened on the other side of the Sea of Galilee amongst Jewish people. This feeding happened among Gentiles, happened among people who were not in the Jewish nation. And so what is Jesus doing in giving the same feeding to this group of people that he gave to the other group of people? Look at verse 8-2. 8.2 says, I have compassion on the crowd. Now the word compassion there is the same word for compassion that was used in the previous feeding. Where Jesus says from his guts, his deepest heart is moved for these people's welfare. Here we are being told that Jesus' heart moves the same way and just as much for these people who are not part of the kingdom of Israel. He has the same heart, the same compassion, the same love for the Jew and for the Gentile that he wants to care for both. You see, Jesus is revealing himself As the good shepherd to both Jew and Gentile. The similarities in the passage is to show us that Jesus came to make one flock out of these two very different, very divided groups of people. He was going to make one flock by becoming the shepherd of both. As Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. You see, Jesus is making one people here. He is making one family. He is saying in this feeding all are welcome at the table of the Lord. And he is inviting Jew and Gentile to eat together to be part of one flock. Let me tell you that the differences between Jew and Gentile in the first century were as pronounced And as polarized as any difference that you can speak of today, separating us. And so, what is witnessed in this passage is that Jesus brings a unity that is greater than whatever can push us apart. This is the hope for oneness, and it is found in the people of God. Can this hope still change the world? I was was thinking, maybe the movie Shawshank Redemption is, you know, well, that's fiction. And so I was reflecting on, uh, again, the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom was a woman who was taken to a concentration camp in World War II and uh, had her her sister die there and, um, you know, suffered terrible things. She was a, a, a woman of beautiful faith. And when she was let out of the concentration camp and when World War II ended, she devoted her life to a rehabilitation center uh, called uh, Blumendahl, I think is how you say it, Blumendahl. And she devoted her life to rehabilitating all of these people who had survived the concentration camps to experience forgiveness and grace to move on from the atrocity of their past. But she didn't just work to get them to, to, uh, uh, to get to a, a healing in themselves. She also had a group of people who were uh, her countrymen who sold out people to the, con- the concentration camps. The informants. And she loved them too. So she had a house full of people who were put in the concentration camps. And she had a house of people who were the informants to put people into the concentration camps. <clears throat> And her ministry was devoted to constantly speaking grace and modeling grace into these two houses until, slowly but surely, the people who had been in the concentration camps wanted to make peace with those who informed on them. I'm telling you that the gospel... Jesus gave that brought Jew and Gentile together is a gospel that can bring informant and concentration camp together. It can bring oneness to every division. The gospel that Jesus gives is the hope for oneness. And we bring that hope into reality when we gather with differences in race, differences in education, differences in economics, differences in political perspective, and we come together to show the one shepherd makes us one where the world wants to make us fight. Jesus is bringing a world of oneness, and we are here to witness to that. So as we conclude, does this world need the hope of wholeness and joyfulness and oneness? Does it need that? This world needs the Andes and the Cory Tenbooms to be amongst us, and that is what Jesus has called us to be to be deposits of the hope of the kingdom in a world of brokenness and fracture and despair. So what is the call to our lives? The call to our lives is to find our hope in Jesus, to place our hope fully in Jesus. He is the one who provides what we need. To be whole, to have joy, and to find oneness in this world and in the next. Beloved, have you placed your hope fully in Jesus?